We're studying the woman at the well, Samaritan woman. We come to the end of the story this morning, and the result of Jesus' interaction with the woman is that she tells others about him. So Jesus and her have this conversation, and the upshot is she goes away and she starts telling everybody that she sees what went down at the well, right? And through her testimony, and because Jesus stayed in the city for a couple of days, many of the Samaritans believe in him as the Savior of the world. So as we read this morning, what I want you to pay particular attention to is that Jesus gives an accurate diagnosis of the woman's moral condition. And the part that that plays, both in her life and in the lives of all of the rest of the people in the city. Okay, because it's a a very central uh, point in the story, and she returns to it. It has a powerful effect, not just on her, but also on the rest of the town. So please stand for the reading of God's Word from John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 25, picking up in the middle of the conversation. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said to him, What do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? So they went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages, and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and know that this one is indeed the Savior 
of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In order for us to receive the proper treatment, there has to be an accurate diagnosis, right? An accurate diagnosis is required for an effective cure. Now with our bodies, we don't always know whether the doctor has the diagnosis correct. Think of the uh, times you've been to the doctor and he says, here's what's going on, and you think to yourself, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure about that. Other times it's like, oh, yep, yep, that's what's going on. And other times it's just, okay, if you say so, I trust you, doc. But we don't always know. We do know when our heart has been accurately diagnosed. We do know when our heart has been accurately diagnosed. Our hearts are evil, and any scheme that flatters us and tells us otherwise is doomed to fail. And we know that. There's all kinds of schemes that tell us we're good. There's all kinds of schemes out there. If you just do this, 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 and this, everything will be good for you. Everything will work out. And the reason it'll work out is because you're good at your core. Right? I, I've, you know, you, you'll have people say these kinds of things to you. Oh, you know, you're such a good person. I know it'll all work out for you if you just keep trying at it. You ever had somebody say that to you? Does it feel good? It feels good for them to flatter you, right? You're such a good person. Why, thank you. Yes, I know. (laughs) So you just keep trying your best. Everything will work out for you. And you're like, oh. Oh, no. That's no good. Because you know that the first part was just flattery, and so the second part can't work, right? It just doesn't, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't work that way. And we know it. We, the reason we know it doesn't add up, the reason it doesn't work that way, is because we know what we really are in our hearts. We know what our desires are really like. The thing is, we're also proud, aren't we? And so when we're proud, that flattery really can do a number on us. That flattery can really bring us to the point of buying into the lie. If you're, you know, if you just work at it, it'll be good because you're good. And we desperately want it to be true. Desperately. We just want 
the outcome to be guaranteed, and we want it to be guaranteed based on what's within us. And so if the, if the outcome is going to be guaranteed based on what's in us, then that means that what's in us has to be good. And so we hear the whole challenge of, <clears throat> on the one hand, I'm good, and on the other hand, I know I'm not good. And we want to end up over here with the flattery and the, and the promise of a good outcome. But what's necessary is humility, right? Humility is required for us to admit that our hearts are evil. Humility is required for us to see that what's inside can't end up causing anything good, ultimately. Can't cause anything good, ultimately. This is one of the reasons that pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction because pride prevents us from admitting what's really in our hearts. Pride causes us to hold on to the flattery, doesn't it? Here at the well, the woman receives this diagnosis from Jesus. Just a few verses before where we read, verse 16, it says, He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So the result of him accurately diagnosing her moral condition is that she immediately knows he's accurately diagnosed me. I see that you're a prophet. Only a prophet, only someone who's speaking God's truth could look at me and speak, tell me what I really am. Because God is the one who looks at the inward person. God is the one who looks at our hearts and judges us, right? Man looks at the outward appearance, and they look at you and they say, oh, you're such a good person, everything's going to go fine for you. And, and what we need to say is, if you only knew what was in my heart, if you only knew what was in my heart, She sees that he's a prophet. And at first, she's still trying to change the subject, but later, she describes what Jesus did like this. Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Why that little 
statement at the end. This is not the Christ, is it? Well, because she's convinced it is the Christ. And the reason she's convinced that Jesus is the Christ is because he has accurately diagnosed her. But he's not just accurately diagnosed her, has he? Everybody in the city knew who she was. For her, her sins went before her. A woman who's had husband after husband after husband, there's no hiding that. Everyone in the city knows that what she is. Everybody knows what her heart is, what her moral condition is. The unique thing about Jesus is twofold. One, he knew her moral condition and accurately diagnosed it without knowing her. Right? He didn't live in the city. He'd never met her before. And so he tells her what she is. Not because she was a jerk to him and he looked at her and he said, oh, so I see, you're a jerk. No, his diagnosis comes out of his knowledge of the heart. His diagnosis comes out of uh, the knowledge that he has of mankind. Remember what it said about Jesus, that he wasn't entrusting himself to the crowds because he knew what was in the heart of man? He knows what's in the heart of man. And so this is the beauty for us. We know what is in the heart of man, don't we? How do we know? We know not because we can look at the outward appearance and then pierce into the heart and judge the heart. No, only God looks directly at the heart, right? The reason we can know is because he's told us what is in the heart. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can know it? And so we can say that with confidence. We have the diagnosis, not just of our own hearts, but of the hearts of everybody else. So Jesus, first, he gives a diagnosis not that's based on simply observing external and then evaluating that behavior, right? He gives it from above. the diagnosis that looks directly in. The second thing that's unique is that he does not respond to who she is in a sinful manner. Right? That's completely different than she's used to. He told her everything she ever did. He knows exactly what she is, what she's done, and he still offers her living water. Think about this woman. What's she normally receiving in terms of everyone who knows what she is? Everyone in the city knows what she is. All of the women scorn her, right? And the men either look at her as a sex object, right? Or 
despise her? Or both? That's the outcome. <clears throat> Jesus is totally different. Totally different in his knowledge. His knowledge of her is much deeper, much more accurate than anybody else in the city, and much more loving. He speaks to her in tenderness, even knowing what she is. So as the woman receives that proper diagnosis with the offer of grace, here's your dark and wicked evil heart, drink. Drink from the well of living water and have eternal life. Let it cleanse your heart. That promise, those offers, the, the speaking of water that will that'll take that'll quench the thirst, the thirst that no man has been able to fill in this woman, right? That promise is a totally different thing than the than anything else she's ever heard. Everything else she's ever heard has been like, you go get it, you try for it, you seek it, you work for it. You be good enough and it'll, it'll work out. You try hard enough. That's, that's the only thing that the world has to offer because the world can't get at that true diagnosis. So as soon as she hears, here's what you really are, and by the way, there's hope for you in God. Now she knows. Now she knows, yes, this is the Christ. This is the Savior. Nothing else, under, nothing else accurately describes who I am. Nobody else knows who I am and still loves me. Nothing could more perfectly define a Savior than that. And so she goes out. She leaves her water pot. She goes into the city, and she begins to tell everybody that she sees. And what does she say to them? She says, he told me everything I've done. Why? Why is that what she's so focused on? Why is that so effective in causing them to want to know more, to believe. At the end, the, it says that people were saying to her, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, <clears throat> for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. But before that, verse 39, it says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. So that statement is in there twice. He told me all the things that I have done. That's what she says to them. And then they believed because of her testimony, and her testimony was, 
He told me all the things that I have done. It's effective because it's attractive. It's effective because it's attractive. Now granted, sometimes people don't like hearing that sort of thing. But is there ever a testimony more beautiful than the testimony that says, I am evil, born in sin. God has made me holy. I was on my way to hell. God rescued me. I was in the kingdom of darkness. He brought me into the kingdom of light. Without the first part of each of those statements, it's hopeless, isn't it? And so when she says, Jesus told me everything that I have done, that's the confession of a notorious sinner. That's her saying, you all know what I'm like. He, he told me what I was like. He got it right. It wasn't partial diagnosis. It was complete. He told me everything I had done. Sometimes we like to hear about people who are similar to us and have been healed. That's encouraging, isn't it? Oh, I had that, I had that one time. And I got over it a couple months later. You'll be okay. Like, okay, good, yeah. <laughs> other times, though, we feel threatened hearing about other people who are similar to us, don't we? You move from physical sin to spiritual, I mean physical, physical illness to spiritual illness, right? You move from sickness to sin. And sometimes we don't want to hear that testimony anymore. Because we don't want our sin to be shown for what it truly is. We don't want them talking about how evil the sin is that they were doing if the sin is that they were doing is our sin. Right? And yet sometimes that in and of itself is still the encouraging, attractive thing. Hearing, I was in your, your shoes. I was there. That's what I was doing. Okay, no, no, please don't say you. I'm <laughs> you don't know me. Let's, let's just leave it generic. So somebody stands up in front of the church, they give their testimony, right? And they say, I was doing this, 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 and this. I was living in this sin. I was, I was giving myself to that. And it's, it's very nice when it's your sin, but you don't have to admit that it's your sin, right? You can just sort of sit there and receive it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, 
the reason that it's nice in a sense is because you're, you're receiving hope. Yeah, he was healed. I can be healed. But then there's sinful motives mixed in with that too, right? I'm glad we're not having this. I'm glad I don't have to go up there and do that. Glad he's the one up there talking about what he was like. Why? Well, because we still want to maintain that image that we're good. But what did Jesus do? He told her everything that she had done. There's no maintaining an image in Christianity. There's no being worried about what other people think about you in Christianity. There's no being worried about what other people think about you. There's no being worried about what other people think about you. You can't be worried about what other people think about you when Jesus has said, here's what you are. Her testimony is attractive. Not everybody in that city was the same sinner, right? The same kind of sin they were given to and tempted by. Some people were hearing <clears throat> from a woman who was healed of different sins than they were committed. Right? Well, that's attractive too. Sometimes it's helpful to get out of thinking about your own self and your own sin and hear somebody speak of a completely different sin and recognize, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're, we're all evil. That's actually sin. Jesus actually saved her. That's attractive. Then again, at that point, some of us go like, well, you know, that's all well and good to be saved from drugs and alcohol, but I don't struggle with drugs and alcohol. My sin's a lot harder. Or my sin's a lot worse. If you knew what I was like, if he knew what I was like, my point is that... <clears throat> Regardless of what your sin is, your testimony is, Jesus told me what I was really like. The diagnosis was correct. And it applies to everybody. And it's attractive, regardless of whether they have the struggle of the, the same sort as you, or a struggle with a completely different sin. It's still attractive. And it's still repellent. But it's always repellent insofar as we are too proud to admit who we really are. So if you're repelled by hearing somebody talk about what your sin is while they're confessing their own sin and it's your sin, if you're repelled by that, it's because you aren't willing to admit that it's really sin. On the other hand, if you're repelled by hearing somebody talk about a different sin than yours, 
you're repelled because you're too proud to admit that your sin is really sin. You're too proud to admit what you really are. You don't want the proper diagnosis. Or you want to say that you're somehow different, that you're, you know, you're so you're so proud that you think that you're the one who's somehow managed to be so evil that there's no hope for you. Yeah, you're really special. Yeah, you're that special. Nobody else has managed to be evil before you came along. See, that's self-centered? No, nobody else knows what it's like to struggle with your sin. Never happened before. You're just such a unique little flower, aren't you? Come on! Jesus Christ has been accurately diagnosing hearts from the beginning. And your heart is no different than anybody else's. It's evil. And his response is the same to you as it was to the woman at the well. I have living water that will make you thirst no more. No, I have to hold on to my I, ha, I have to hold on to my sin. My sin, this is the only thing that really makes me different. It makes me feel special. No, your heart and all of its evil does not make you special. It makes you evil. It leaves you with unmet desire perpetually. Are you willing to testify? Are you willing to testify about what you are and that Jesus is the Christ? That's what the woman does. She just, she just leaves and she testifies. She says, he told me everything I'd done. Got to be the Christ. No other answer. And if we're willing to testify... It will be used by God. Whether you're speaking to somebody who struggles with the same thing or completely different things, it will be used by God. Whether it repels them or attracts them, it will be used by God. Her confession is complete. He told me everything that I had done. And everybody knew what she was talking about. That's a complete confession there. Our confession must be complete as well. So she testifies, and what does it do? It causes people to want to find out about Jesus. Some of them believe from her words. Some of them, it makes them curious enough that they want to come and hear what God has to say. Jesus. And they ask him to stay, and so he stays for a couple of days. And even more of them believe because 
of the preaching that Jesus does. But don't ever get confused and think that if you're going to give a testimony of what you are, what you were, what God did in you, that you have to learn to preach. No. The woman at the well goes and testifies in the city. And then they come and they sit under the preaching of God's word. And people are converted by both. It's beautiful. That's what we want. That's what we want to see. Testimony and preaching go together. But they're not the same thing. You understand? God uses both of them. We must always be ready to give an account for the hope that is within us. We must always be ready to testify. And what is our testimony? Our testimony is simply what we are and what we were. That's it. And how the change took place. You guys know what a testimony is. I used to weigh 700 pounds and then I bought the diet plan for such and such and now look at me. I'm skinny and beautiful. Here's what I was. Here's what I am. Here's how I got there. That's a testimony. You with me? You see testimonies all over the place. Do you have a testimony? Do you have the testimony of the woman at the well? Does Jesus Christ accurately diagnose your heart? Because you never go on the diet plan until you admit that you're fat, right? You can't make it from A to B without recognizing that you're at A to start with. This is our testimony. Our testimony is, he told me everything that I had ever done, and how wicked it really was, and how hopeless it was for me. And he saved me. Saved me from where I was going. Saved me from what I was, be- what I, what I was, what I was becoming. He saved me. Look at what he gave me instead. A new life in him. He saved me from endless desires that could never be met. And he fulfilled my every desire. This is the testimony of a Christian. Are you ready to give an account of the hope that is within you? Do you have hope? If you've been changed, if you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, how can we not have hope? 
There's nothing more hopeful in the world than that. That's a beautiful hope. The hope of resurrection with him, living in the new Jerusalem. Where we won't even need a sun. There is so much light there because he's there. He's been raised. That's our hope as Christians. Learn to testify. Be ready to give an account. What is that hope? Well, think about the woman. Why did she have hope? She had hope because he fully knew her. And he still loved her. That's why we have hope. Despite our sin, not because we managed to fool him. You may manage to fool everybody else in the world into thinking that you're good, but you'll never fool God. And that's, that's the accurate diagnosis that you get to take with you in your testimony to others. He told me everything that I had done. I, I had tried to fool the whole world, but then I read the Bible and it said, my heart was desperately wicked, and I said, yes. That it is. Despite what everybody else may think about me, I know what I am. So, if you say, here's what I was, here's what he's made me, if you say, he accurately diagnosed my heart, he told me what I really was, who I really am, don't ever be ashamed to speak the words of God. See, your testimony and the words of God go together like this. I don't want you to feel like you have to learn to preach first, right? But I also don't want you to be ashamed of saying, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can know it? And that's you. Your heart too, not just mine. That's God's word. That's you providing the same diagnosis that Jesus provided to the woman at the well. You don't have to know everything that they've done to give the right diagnosis, do you? And what a promise. He told me everything that I've done and he's promised that he'll never leave me or forsake me. Isn't that what you just wish your romance novels could give you? I mean, seriously, is there, is there, any, is there anything that more accurately captures the desire 
that feeds romance novels. He knew what I was. He knew what I needed. He, he loved me anyway. He rescued me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Sign me up. It's not fake. It's not some mushy romance either. What's in your heart? What has God done with you? That's your testimony. Are you ready to tell other people that? Or are you too proud? Are you going to be too worried about your own reputation? We can't be proud people. He told us everything that we've done. How can you be proud after that? 